no five and no six. I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. But when I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with him. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera. I fixed the lens, and now I see him focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years. Of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for. I'm gonna be a leader, I'ma lead the way, cause I'm a firm believer. We can do anything we want. If I said it, then I meant it. I probably already did it. Consider it done. Consider it done. If you need some inspiration, you should play this championship leadership podcast. Hey, Bailey. Hey, what's up, everybody? Championship Leadership Podcast here today. Uh, I'm excited. We got Zach Hughes. He is a uh, former U.S. Army Green Beret, uh, co-founder of Operators Association, and also the COO of Elite Meat. And uh, so thank you so much, Zach, man, for, for taking some time to join us here today. Absolutely, Coach. I think I've been looking through your podcast. I love it. Such an honor to be on. Yeah. So the first question I always love to ask is um, the name of the podcast, Championship Leadership, and it's kind of a unique name. A friend of mine actually recommended it. And at first, I wasn't sure. It's just, um, you know, Championship Leadership. It didn't roll off my tongue at first, but I've grown to like it definitely. And, and so I just like to hear from my guests, like, when you hear that, what does it mean to you? What do you think of uh, when you think of a championship leadership? I think um, when I think of the words championship and leadership together, I think of a competition uh, immediately. That's exactly where I defer to. So not only is leadership something that's important because you need to have a great leaders and then B, you need to be a great leader, um, but also you need to be constantly competing. So if you if you're in a championship of that, it's at the highest stakes possible. And that's immediately what my mind deters to when I see the words championship and leadership together is that you're competing at the highest level and you've got to be the best that you can be at being a leader. Yeah, that's, uh, I love it. And especially as a green beret, I, I would imagine that that rings true. I mean, that's what special operators, uh, green berets are all about, right? I mean, it's, it's the best of the best. It's the highest level. That's exactly how you guys are trained, taught, educated. And, and that's exactly what you do. And, and do you see that carrying on? into all other areas of life for yourself? I do. I think that because when you, when you become, you, you become a Green Beret, you become a Navy SEAL, any derivative of special operations, when you get on a team, everything is a competition. Um, and it's a competitive nature in general, but it's because for positive reasons. I think competition breeds success and you're inherently going to do better at what you're doing if you're competing, even in training, even in eating, even in talking, even in your vocabulary. Even if anything about it, if you're in a competition, you're more laser focused. So I think that that specifically is something that keys up individuals that have gone through a lifelong journey or a few years of highly intense competition. You can understand that as you pivot out from that, there's so many other bleed overs in life that you just want to continue to do that. And if it's always a competition with you, 
then you're going to be excelling at everything you do. Yeah. What, what tell, tell the listeners here, just maybe a little bit about um, your story, your path, you know, what led you to be, uh, to join the military, to become a green beret. And, and even up until, you know, recently, I believe just in the past year, you, you've made that transition out of the army and, and now you uh, CEO of elite meat. Also this, um, the co-founding the operators association that has really taken off and really kind of taking on other young, uh, young individuals that want to come into special operations, right? And really just, there's nothing else like there out there um, to help them, to guide them, to mentor them, to really answer the questions of what this would really truly look like. So yeah, what was that path for you? Like how start from wherever you want to and, and just give us a little uh, insight into who you are and the path that got you here to where you are today. Sure. I think that every Green Beret I've ever met has a completely unique story and it's so interesting. Um, mine was very different than almost everyone on my team and everyone that I went through the course with. So I grew up in Texas in the Dallas Fort Worth area, went to high school there. 9-11 happened when I was in 10th grade. It was a profound moment for me. I knew at that point that I wanted to go join the army. I had a grandfather that was in World War II in the army. I had two uncles that were in Vietnam in the army. And I, I honestly, I grew up idolizing these individuals. I just thought it was the most epic thing. They went and they served our country at the highest level that they could and really got after it. And luckily returned back um, without without passing away in Vietnam so I was super fired up about it and then as I became a senior my parents were like hey dude you have to go to college first before you can do this and I struggled with that and I didn't want to do it and I like fought it tooth and nail I actually joined the army behind their back and then was in the program where you wait to leave and then I was like no nah, this is probably not how I want to go I don't want to this is almost like shunning and I kind of like failing on my way into doing something great so i told the recruiters never mind i'm gonna go to college so i went to college and it, it's so funny to me because when i was in college i didn't see it as like i'm a college student going to college i see it as like this is an obstacle i have to complete so that i can go be in the military yeah. like this is absolutely my mindset through the entire thing and it's so clear to me i can see it now because the, the degree that i chose was as cool guy degree i could find on this list of degrees and that was criminal justice. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to go to college, I'm not going to do marketing or business. I'm going to do criminal justice because I don't know. That's like the, the closest I can get. I almost did some sort of sports thing just to stay connected to athletes and people that were hungry. So I went through college uh, towards the end. I had a pretty decent GPA and they were like, Hey, you should apply to grad school. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should. So I applied to grad school and got a small scholarship. And I was like, hell, I guess now I have to go to grad school. I mean, it's almost stupid for me not to go because they're just handing it to me. So yeah. I did that and it was just, it was delaying the gratification of me joining the army. There was really no other branch that I was going to do just based on the incredible leadership I got as a child. So in grad school, I, I stumbled upon a guy who happened to be a Green Beret. And it was a profound moment in my life where I was like, what am I doing? This has just been such a waste of time. So it was very clear to me, hard pivot at that specific moment. I was literally chasing other dreams at the time. And I knew this was like this big calling for me. So I completely stopped what I was doing, finished up grad school, got my degree. And on the way out, like signed a contract, started onboarding into the military and was like very fired up about the idea of going to do this at the highest level I could. So got into basic training. It was like this huge struggle for me because they, they basically looked at a piece of paper and they were like, oh, who's the guy with a master's degree? What an idiot. You can be in charge. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so it was good for me because 
I, I was immediately put in a leadership role uh, that I didn't necessarily want to be in, but um, it was good because it helped me grow as a leader, like right off the bat. And I think that that helped when I got to selection, which is inherently a, a terrible place. I remember just sitting around looking at the field of guys who were trying to be green Berets and just being almost amazed by the quality of individuals around me. There was guys who had played in the NFL. There were people that played in major league baseball. There was people who had been in the Olympics. There were guys that came straight out of wall street, uh, Ivy league college guys. And then there was like South Texas, good old boys that came straight out of high school. And there was me. So I was like, okay, listen, if these guys can come here, I've got to crush it. Um, and I did, uh, I was a little bit older. Let's see, I was 28 going through the course. So definitely on the older age for guys being green berets, I would say green berets of, of the military, the green berets are definitely older and you guys going through the course that were like 33. It's very common when you get to a special forces team, almost the, I would say the average age is like late twenties, early thirties, which is not indicative of the seals or really any yeah. other special operations unit. So that kind of helped in it poised me for success in the course graduated showed up to my team as the very new guy we immediately deployed to Afghanistan I was our class valedictorian during my class um, so I kind of showed up and I was like yes I'm going to do awesome things because I was our valedictorian and I'm so prepared for this and then immediately got punched in the face with a, a bunch of stuff that I couldn't handle deliberately done to me uh, and a bunch of new guy antics once again deliberately done yeah. and it was awesome it was great because you kind of expect that and you almost anticipate it we went straight to Afghanistan and I was the, let me think about this. I was the least ranking green beret in the entire country in Afghanistan because oh. I went straight through the course, didn't recycle anything. And I was just very low ranking. Yeah. Um, a lot of people that go through the green beret course were in the military before. So they had some rank. I didn't, I did not. So um, <laughs> when we get there, granted, you know, I'm 28 years old. I've got a master's degree. I was our valedictorian. So kind of got it together. Um, but still, I'm very new to the Army. Like, I'm still very new to the military. So we, let's see, Donald Trump was the president. He had just onboarded. Uh, it was early 2017. We had a very specific mission that we were doing in Afghanistan. And when he came in, as you can imagine, the cabinet switched as well. So the policy from the then incoming Secretary of Defense literally switched overnight. And it's an interesting dichotomy when you're deployed in Afghanistan in a war-torn area and the cabinet switch, not even really necessarily the presidents, but when the cabinet switch, it's a very impactful thing mm. um, because policies change overnight. And so he, in secret, brought in Green Beret advisors at the highest level to the Pentagon and, and asked about the, the mission and what we were going to be doing in the future. And I had this incredible leader who like completely changed my life. And he came back and he said, hey, all right, man, um, I know we've been doing this mission where we're going to go after the Taliban, but now we're going to pivot and we're going to go after ISIS because that's what they want us to do. And we know where they are. So we went into the Eastern Afghanistan specifically looking for ISIS, which we had never done because that wasn't our mission. Um, and we got in, found ourselves in this epic 23 day battle in, in a random village that was uh, super intense. We lost a good friend of mine uh, in the fight. Uh, I, I took an RPG and was subsequently injured. We responded with the Moab bomb. If you're familiar with that. Yeah. Um, and it, it was a, just an intense period. I uh, was definitely messed up. I didn't know how bad my injuries were. We got back stateside. Uh, I did quite a few surgeries. Things started to manifest. And they were like, listen, Zach, you know, after my fourth surgery, like, I, you know, I, I don't see a good future for this for you. I think that you got to understand that you're probably not going to be a Green Beret anymore. 
And I was a very surface level Green Beret because I hadn't spent a lot of time in. Mm -hmm. And it was an interesting dichotomy for me because the life cycle of graduating, being the number one guy, coming in, meeting all these incredible people, doing this incredible mission, and then turning around, getting injured, taking an RPG, and then being told that you're done is like this incredible moment in my life where I was just having to be so flexible. And I think from a leadership standpoint, I had these great individuals around me that were just constantly telling me to be agile and to be mobile and to be able to just switch gears and change things up. And that's the keys to success. And, and it's, it's very indicative during the entire course. So that's exactly what I did. I, I just decided that it was time to completely pivot my mindset and go do what's, what's the best thing in the future. And so I think that overwhelmingly the story that I had during this time period is that you have to be, you have to have the ability to adjust your goals. Everything in this world can be taken from you immediately. What you think is your reality in the future can be shifted and you have to be, and it's almost your duty to be the type of individual that can adjust on the fly and, and actually pivot your mindset completely. If you ask a Green Beret candidate, what's the number one goal in his life? You ask me when I was in the course, what's the number one goal in your life? It's to become a Green Beret. So when, when you find yourself in any derivative of that and somebody's saying, you know, you're not going to be a Green Beret, now what's yeah. your number one goal? You've got to just change your mindset. Yeah, that can be, you know, I think of like professional athletes, right? It's, it, you hear stories of that all the time where they, their number one goal, I'm sure for a very long time was to become, you know, whether it's the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball, whatever it is. Uh, and then all of a sudden, once that's gone, and a lot of times it is, it's just kind of taken away like that, right? W which sounds like it was very similar for you. A lot of people struggle with that, but it sounds like you actually leaned on all the training that they that you had get, been given and received going through selection and becoming a Green Beret to, to help you through that actually probably fairly quickly is that is that accurate or did you struggle with that what, what was that i would like? i would say that there's definitely a fracture of identity crisis um, mm -hmm. because you're just literally pivoting who you are in your constitution but if you just at the micro level if you just analyze that the reason you're being successful is because you're inherently good at singularly focusing on one thing it doesn't even matter what that one thing is if that's being a green beret fine go crush it if that's being an amazing soldier while you're deployed perfect, go do it. If that's being a great dad, okay, absolutely dominate that. If that's transitioning out of the military because you can no longer serve your country because that's what's happened, fine. You need to be great at doing that. And, and once I had that realization, frankly, because of one of my leaders said, Zach, you've been doing this forever. You've been pivoting your life since you were born and making these adjustments. And if anything, you're more well-suited to do it right now than you've ever been because of the last year of your life, the last few years. So it was, a, it was a good, interesting conversation that I had with him. And after that, it was like, okay, I've just got to make this my number one goal is to now switch into a new individual. I don't even know who that person's going to be, but he's got to be great at something. So you just got to move forward and completely put the past behind you and just switch. And that can be done with the same mentality of leaving pro sports or leaving amateur sports or leaving high school even, leaving your girlfriend. doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. You take that win and you can produce that in, in any level in anything. Yeah, so you, and you've referenced a few times, like just some of the great leaders that you've had um, experience with, whether it was in the military or in, in your life, who are, who are one or two, like you would consider championship leaders, just excellent leaders, high, highest level leaders that have really impacted you. And maybe what are some of the, the biggest 
characteristics, traits, or, or things that you've taken from them to help you as a leader, as, you know, as a co-founder and owner of, of these, these companies that you're now involved with? Yeah, I think that early on in, in my Afghanistan deployment, I was presented with, an, with a sticky situation, which were, we were in a spot where it was literally going to, lives mattered and were inevitably taken. And there was a, a decision point where the answer was either left or right. Literally, mm-hmm. it was left or right. And my, the leader of my team, who was this very humbled individual who graduated from West Point and has done amazing things for our country that I can't even speak of, yeah. looked at me and I was the most junior person in the country. And he looked at me because I was standing beside him and he kind of knows that like, I wasn't some 20 year old kid. I've kind of been around the block, just not in the military. And he goes, Zach, you know, what do you think? And like, he meant it. And he looked, yeah. looked at me and he was like, I need, I want to know your perspective right now on this. He may not take my opinion, but he needs to know what someone that's not him is seeing. And I think sometimes in business, people don't do that. Um, but I remember, I'll remember that moment forever because it mattered. Mm-hmm. And I gave him a, an idea that I thought he inevitably went with that one, but he did that so many times, all the time. He was constantly asking for questions and, and like responses and people's opinions. And most of the time he took it, some of the times he didn't, but it wasn't about individual personal beliefs or it wasn't intimate. It was a strictly a business case. It was, Hey, let me, you guys present some opinions to me. I want to know like what your mind sees that mine doesn't, I'm going to make the best decision and we're going to move forward. And it doesn't matter what I choose. Y'all are all behind it period. And I think that that moment for me was where it crystallized that that's the kind of leader you have to be in order for teams below you to be successful. We're not even necessarily talking about mentoring. We're talking about high level organizations and just being strategic. So that's the mindset I've shifted into elite meet. Uh, into now operators association, any of the employees that are working underneath me, it's a constant understanding that you probably see things different than me. And I'm not going to be the guy that pretends like I, I know more than you, because if mm-hmm. you're the director of recruiting for elite me, which we have one awesome guy, you know more about what's going on in recruiting than I do. And you should, I shouldn't know more than you. That's how it's supposed to be laid out. So I think that that, that overarching or upside down tree it's kind of how it works. And then you're leaning on them for advice. It's literally how it works. You're not giving them advice. They're giving you advice. And I think that I've modeled that from that one individual in that one situation deployed in Afghanistan. And I'll, I'll take that in any organization that I ever run. And if you don't have the individuals that can provide that, then you just get rid of them. Yeah. You, <laughs> when you say like you literally had to take a left or a right, I, I asked, that question just about every time I'm, I'm like critical moments, critical decisions, like massive turning points where, where there's literally you either go left and, you, and your life is considerably different than it is today, or you, you choose to take, go right. And number one, in that moment, like lives are on the line, like you said, I mean, just all of the highest stakes possible and for your leader to come and just have that, you know, just, be secure in who he is and just realize who he's surrounded with. I mean, uh, elite group, green berets. I mean, you just recognize that, man, Hey, I, I got this incredible team. Why would I not ask? And it, and like you, you said it multiple times, like it didn't mean that that was what he was going to go with, but he was collecting all the information so that he could make the best possible decision. I would imagine in the fastest amount of time or the shortest amount of time um, to make sure that you guys were successful. Yeah, and I would say that that model doesn't work if the person underneath you, it can't provide some level of input. If you can't trust him in understanding something differently than you, then he's not a good fit. And then this this whole idea of 
you asking them and you don't trust them, if you can't trust that person that you're asking, then the, your duty as the leader is to put somebody in that spot that can. And that's yeah. done very quickly on a Green Beret team. If, yeah. if you're not providing worth and you're not providing value and you're not contributing, even if we don't like your ideas, if you're not constantly pushing the envelope and, and really understanding what your job is and telling other people how it should be, then you're out. And I think that that's a great model to have in any leadership position. Sometimes new leaders are, are really hesitant to remove people and it has to happen quick. And I saw it so often on a Green Beret team. People's stuff would just literally be in the hallway, not because of some yeah. ambiguous decision point, but because they couldn't do their job effectively and they couldn't portray that. And as the leader, the same person that's literally asking me what I think about some decision point that's like really impactful to lives and to his position. It's his job to make that decision. Yep. He wants everyone to know that he, he values their opinion and he needs them to not be scared to give it because he has yep. to think outside the box. But if you can't trust that person, then it's on you as a leader to get, get him out of there immediately. He can, it's, it's toxic. Yeah. And that's, that's challenging. That's almost more challenging. I bet. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, you just, you have to know your people too, right? I mean, you just, you have to know them in order to be able to, be willing to rely on them or lean on them in, in those moments as well. So what's, uh, we'll talk, you know, about elite meeting and what that is and how that came about as you transitioned out. Yeah. So elite meets a 501 C three nonprofit. What we do is we assist transitioning special operators. So Navy SEALs, green berets, anybody that falls under special operations and then also fighter pilots as they transition out of the military into business specifically. So what we do is we give them access to very hard to find positions in business. So if you're leaving the Green Beret team and you wanna go do contracting or some military, or you wanna go to police work or FBI, that's not what we do. But if you wanna go into business, some derivative of operations, private equity, finance, um, blue collar, construction worker, supervisor, things like that, you're gonna to come to Elite Meet because we've got those connections. So really, it started a few years back with a friend of mine from SEAL Team 2, an investment banker. They just connected because he knew friends that needed jobs, and the investment banker wanted to hire guys that were winners. It doesn't matter what your background is. We want you to yeah. come in and just be a winner. Uh, and it was a good fit, and this thing exploded. I was a Wave 2 guy that came on as they were expanding, and they needed help with some processes. It was really a startup, still really is a startup, to be honest with you. Um, I think you're a startup for eight years before you can move out of that just because you've got rapid growth. And so that's exactly, that's exactly how it worked out. And it was, it was a great fit for me. I was still in the military. I was actually going through all my surgeries. They got six surgeries in 2018 and I was onboarded into elite meet and came in. I was like, Hey, I love this organization. This is great. Let me dive in and start assisting at a high level. So came in, started running ops. And subsequently, at the end of my time in the military, they were like, you, you can't leave now. Like, you can't go find this great job that's coming across your desk. Um, so now, as the COO role, I've been doing that since January, I think, of this year. And Elite Meet's only three years old. I think rapid growth in 2019. We found a niche in, in all these firms that want to hire amazing talent. We've got about 750 members right now that are transitioning and looking for these positions. And for the most part, we hire them very quickly because guys want to access them and we don't have anything like that. We got pretty connected when to pro sports this year. We were invited to be the philanthropic partner to one of the largest NFL owner conferences of the year. And because of that, uh, we met a lot of owners from different sports organizations and they were just blown away by 
not only the stories, but the idea that they can find people to fit into their organization that are already have a proven track record of winning. Yeah. Um, so because of that, we've had some expansion in terms of our organization and our professional network. Last week, we were just at the World Trade Center for a week-long conference where we brought in 40-plus of our members and over 400 professionals. Um, and it was really epic because you sit in a room and you've got 40-plus Green Berets operators and then fighter pilots as well that really joined because of 9-11. And we're sitting here in New York City at the mm -hmm. World Trade Center. It was iconic. Yeah, and a host of guys got jobs on the spot. So it was great. I think that Elite Meet provides value not only for the members, but to be honest, it provides value for me as well. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, what's, what's, what's the big vision? You know, talk about that a lot, right? Championship leaders. I, I, I like, you know, I'm a football guy, so I'll talk. I think Bill Belichick or a Nick Saban, right? Just the best of the best um, at what they do in their, in their industry, in their sport and winning championships year after year continuing to evolve and to do that you got to stay up and you got to stay ahead which means you they have to have this incredible vision and it's it's a vision that's different than any, anyone else right to be able to see things that others can't and then make those decisive decisions um and execute on those like what's what's the vision for elite meet you know three to five years from now and, and the impact that you really want to create and make yeah i think Based on the numbers of our community, we don't have, we've got 700 or so members right now, 750. And there's not that many individuals that are pivoting from the teams that are wanting to go into these roles. Okay. So we're deliberately lean. I think that to be honest, that's probably around the numbers we're going to always yeah. have because there's only so many people that are getting out and want to go get, say their MBA or go into some derivative of a business and then finds elite meeting and wants to go move forward with it. I would say if you're one of those individuals, you already know what elite meet is and you're going to come because you've got a friend that's already successfully landed somewhere. Yep. So because of that, we will, we will never have these massively large numbers where we access all of the military veterans or anything like that. That's not us. Mm -hmm. we're, we're specifically for our community and we're branded that way and we'll stay that way. What we will do is we'll expand on the professional side. So 2019, for example, going to that NFL owners conference. Now we've got all these amazing speakers and individuals and we're tied into pro sports asked to come speak to the Patriots specifically uh, about them and their transition because they don't have any processes in place. And as you can imagine in pro sports, if you're a guy who's in a professional sport and you're leaving and you're transitioning out the structure and the formalities of coming out of an elite team are the same. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're an NFL player or you're an operator, granted your, your experience and the things that you've done are wildly different, but the idea that, that you're pivoting from something that's been elite and been camaraderie stricken. And now you're going to something different. It's very similar. So we started seeing that this year. I think that I would just continue to see expansive growth on term in terms of the professionals that are included. Our events that we host every quarter are just getting bigger and bigger. We're getting more influential people speaking at each time. Um, it's incredible to grow. I, I think our next event is going to be in Seattle hosted by Amazon at their headquarters. Um, and I anticipate upwards of four to 500 people with top caliber speakers as well. And I think that that's probably the, the recipe for growth for us is just to continue to expand our professional network so that they can immediately grab our guys as they pivot out. That's uh yeah, that's an inter interesting pivot. And, and as you're explaining, it, may, it, it does, it totally makes sense to make that transition to help out these professional athletes as well. Um, what about operators association? Like I'm, I'm really interested in that and, and 
how did that come about? Yeah, what made you decide to open that up, create that? Was it something from like that you lacked coming in and wish wish that you had yourself? Or yeah, where did that come from? Yeah, I think in general, when when I decided to pull the trigger and become a Green Beret, there wasn't access to any of this stuff in terms of the internet and, and really things. There was YouTube videos were out, but it wasn't nearly the access that we have today. So a lot of the questions that I had, I was just kind of like, oh, well, we'll figure it out. This is what I want to do. So I'm just going to go. Um, and as my social media presence began to expand, which was deliberate to raise awareness for elite mm -hmm. meat, I started finding these individuals who were constantly get, sending me messages. Hey, Zach, just signed a Green Beret contract. I've got X and Y, Z questions. And inherently off the cuff, I answered literally every single one of them um, because that's just, that's just like in my heart, in my core. I think it's yeah. important to note that if you're a Green Beret, your job isn't necessarily strictly direct action missions. It's, it's hearts and minds when you're in these foreign countries and, and collectively building rapport and helping them really defeat an oppressive regime. That's like the number one thing that we do. And granted, if it's not hearts and minds, then it's two to the, two to the heart and one to the mind. But it's, um, it's, it's really an interesting paradigm when you talk about mentorship for guys who are coming in. So finally, after answering thousands of messages in individual cases and, and having video calls with these guys that were really intrigued, I mean, it's America's best, in my opinion, that want to go do this. Yeah, It's a hard endeavor to jump in. I decided with, with my co-founder, um, who's the CEO of Elite Meat, that we should just slap an organization on this and like kind of wrap this up and like collect this talent pool that's coming in and sort of put them under our wing and put some structure to it and give them the information that they're just constantly asking us for. Um, and rapidly within a number of months, it got, we have over 600 and something members, I think almost 700 members that are coming in boarding. It's a constant revolution, just like elite meat. Um, and we're giving them guidance and information that they can't find anywhere else. And what's more important, they're connecting with guys that are in the same class as them as they go in. Yeah. So we've got this, this pool of individuals that are collectively together in this chat room now. And they're just pinging ideas off of each other. They're talking, they're collecting themselves together for workouts. And it's now this movement where, hey, before you go become a Green Beret or a Navy SEAL, will you come to Operators Association? Not only are you going to get tips, great stories, and, and really the mindset that you need, but you're also going to find people that you're going to run into in a few weeks when you go to basic training because they're in your class. That's, that's awesome. So you said how many people? It's like right at 650-ish, somewhere 650. in there. 650, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, that's cool. So has that, you know, you're really pouring into other people. You're really, you know, kind of like this servant, servant leader is, is what I'm hearing. And, and has that been something that's always uh, been important to you? Is that something that was like modeled to you um, from a young age, from, from family members or the people that you knew or, um, you know, where does that come from? Because that's not one that, that is inherently uh, present for everyone. Yeah, you know, it, it really didn't. I didn't have individuals around me that were constantly stressing that. I didn't really grow up thinking that I was going to be in a servant leadership role. It just sort of manifested, you know, life's so long and you change so many times in your lives. We go yeah. back full circle to pivoting and pivoting well and understanding your purpose and, and the next thing you want to do. If you're leaving from a Green Beret team and you've got to figure out something that fits for you, you kind of try a bunch of things until something sticks and it, you're having fun with it. And it, it could be the same for leaving pro sports, it could be the same for leaving a job. Uh, you just try something else that you think is fun, that you enjoy, and then if it works and you get to make a living with it, then honestly, you've, you've struck gold. 
because that's exactly what happened to me. I just got out and I was like, okay, well, let's go to elite meet and start helping out guys and let's buy in on this philosophy and let's just continue moving and let's grow this thing as big as we can. And it's exactly what happened and it worked. And I think that for me, it was important to stay connected to the individuals in the community because to be frank, I didn't want to leave. That hand was really dealt to me very early on. I mean, I'm a very surface level Green Beret. And the fact that now I can see these individuals coming out that have been 20 plus years in the Green Beret teams done like all these incredible things and they're having issues finding employment. I think that's what stuck with me. I look in the room specifically in the World Trade Center and I look out and I'm hosting this event and kind of, you know, giving introductions and all this panelists. We've got 40 special ops members in the, in the field that are listening. And I look at them and I'm just like, wow, you know, I know how big of a deal you guys are. Mm -hmm. These guys have done incredible things that I couldn't even touch. And it's just so awesome that I can assist them in the next step and move forward. And once you get that, everything else is pretty much downhill because you're just so fired up to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I love it, man. That's so awesome. What's, uh, what are one or two things as we wrap this up here, like what are one, two, one or two things that you could leave with the listeners to that they could just take and really put into play for themselves like today and just move, move themselves forward in life. Yeah. I think that just going with the narrative that we've discussed when you pivot and it can be small pivots, it can be large pivots. It can be as big as being a green beret and then not being a big green beret, or it can be as small as going from high school to college or leaving your job, leaving your significant other. Whenever you do it, you've got to understand that it's a, it's a mental shift and you've just got to focus on the next thing. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be as small as moving houses. It could be anything in the world. It doesn't matter. But if you're shifting your mindset from one to the other, it's got to be a very deliberate right turn and then shamelessly forgetting what was in the past and focus on nothing else but succeeding in what's in front of you. And that's it. Don't let any doubt creep in. Don't go back to the left side of the turn. You've got to go down this path because you took a right. And you have to be consistently knowing that you've got to do the best at it. So that pivot is really the important portion. If you can change your mind to shift between all these different things and all these different journeys in life, and you'll be successful. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Uh, what are a few ways that we can find out more about you, Elite Meet, uh, Operators Association, for those that are interested in that? Like, yeah, how can we follow you? And, and uh, Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Zach Hughes, uh, Z-A-C-K-H-U-G-H-E-S. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram at Zach Hughes One, Facebook as well. Uh, I think Elite Meet, EliteMeet.us. That's E-L-I-T-E-M-E-E-T.us. And then we've got a, the same pages. We've got a LinkedIn page. We've got an Instagram page. We've got a Facebook page. And then Operators Association is the same thing. It's literally operatorsassociation.com for the website. And then the same for LinkedIn, Instagram. We don't have a Facebook for that. Okay. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, we'll get those, we'll get those linked up in the show notes. And uh, just thank you. Appreciate you taking some time to be on the show. Yeah, Coach, I appreciate it. Listen, the movement you've got is great. I, I listened to a few of your podcasts. I think it's epic what you're doing. If I can ever make any connections for you, for anybody that, that you think would be valuable, don't hesitate to reach out. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Thank you. In 05 and 06, I deployed to Kuwait. I used to wait every day for them to say, nature going home. I missed my life, missed my wife. For 15 months, she was all alone. 
When I got back, I felt out of control. Feeling entitled, I put my life on hold. I keep on drinking, so I'm sinking in a river of liquor. Me and my wife weren't all right. I didn't reconnect with it. I had a business, insurance agent, and rental properties. But is there something bigger than this? I know there's gotta be, so I invested in myself. I started seeing coaches. Life is a camera. I fixed the lens, and now I see him focus. Now my life's unrecognizable from my life just a couple years ago. 17 plus years of marriage, it's never been better than this. And we got three kids, that's who I do it for. I'm gonna be a 